But you know what? Ooh, look who just walked in. I knew I'd get y'all. A bunch of gossipy people. That was a gimme, wasn't it? What in the world is she doing here? Why is the preacher talking to the likes of her? Man, if he knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't be talking to her. This morning, we're going to see that kind of awful reaction toward a woman who turns out to be perhaps the greatest worshiper in the whole Bible. This morning, the scriptures record the story of a woman who falls at the feet of Jesus in worship. And we're never even told this woman's name. Matthew, Mark, and John all record very similar stories, but only Luke writes about this unique occasion about this woman who doesn't even speak a word in the story. Have you ever experienced wordless Worship, not worthless worship, wordless worship. This woman's worship was so profound that Jesus used her as an example to teach a lesson to a very proud religious leader. If you'll go with me to the book of Luke chapter 7, that's page 913 in the Bibles in front of you, I'd love for you to follow along with the story about this woman who offers Jesus wordless worship. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, and the Word of God says, Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. You ever muttered to yourself? Well, the Pharisee, when he saw this, said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is. Who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him. Simon. I got something to say to you. And so Simon said teacher say it. 
And Jesus spoke saying, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One of the debtors owed 500 denarii. That's 500 days wages. The other owed 50. 50 days wages. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he, who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I walked in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, Jesus said, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, Your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And we don't know why Simon invited Jesus. But what we do know is it doesn't seem like Simon is a believer. It doesn't seem like Simon has any affection for Jesus. Uh, it doesn't seem like Simon gives any respect for Jesus. Why? Because he didn't even extend the common courtesies of the day. Common courtesy in that day is if you're going to invite somebody to your house for dinner, the first thing you do is you greet them with a kiss. A kiss on the cheek. Then you wash their feet. And then you anoint their head with oil. But it appears Simon doesn't do any of those things. In fact, he intentionally dishonors Jesus by not doing those things. In sharp contrast to Simon, there's this well-known woman in town. And this well-known woman in town enters into the room because of one reason. She wants to find Jesus. She wants to find Jesus, y'all. This woman was well-known because she had a bad reputation. She had a bad reputation in town. And the suggestion may be that she was really a prostitute. But her desire, her overarching desire for being there 
is she wants to find Jesus. And when she does, it suddenly don't matter what anybody thinks. It don't matter what these respectable people think. She's going to find Jesus. All she wants is Jesus. And in verse 38, we read where she just stood behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them. So as this woman, this unnamed woman kneels, she weeps uncontrollably. Her tears fall on Jesus' dusty feet. But then the more that she wipes with her hair, the more her tears fall. And she actually begins to wash his feet with her hair. Afterwards, she anoints Jesus' feet with perfume from that alabaster jar that she brought with her. And then she begins to kiss His washed feet. In fact, the word that's used here is that she kissed His feet again and again and again and again. Crying unashamedly. Her snotty nose is running. Her hair is wet with this muddy mixture of tears and dirt. This woman is a self-forgetting hot mess, y'all. And as the sweet fragrance from that perfume fills the air, if anybody didn't know what was going on, guess what? They know now. And all eyes are on Jesus. All eyes are on the Lord. What would he do now? This woman's wordless worship came at a great personal cost. For not only did Her worship cost her this very expensive perfume. Not only did her worship cost her humility to kiss, wash, and dry the feet of Jesus. Perhaps the greatest cost was that she had to face the contempt and the rejection of the self-righteous Pharisee Simon and all those invited guests. But guess what? None of those things mattered. None of those things mattered. She was going to see, she was going to worship, and she was going to find, and she was going to shower Jesus with love. Nothing was more important to this woman than to love on Jesus The price she had to pay was high. But to her, it just didn't matter. And now as we look at Simon's reaction in verse 39, we really see the condition of Simon's heart. Look in verse 39 with me. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself 
and said, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon was passing judgment on this woman, and his judgment went something like this. Now, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know people's character. And if Jesus knew this woman, he would know that she's a sinner, and he'd have nothing to do with her. If Jesus was truly from God, he wouldn't be allowing her to touch him like she is. But don't miss this in verse 40. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I got something to say to you. Has Jesus ever whispered to you? You and I need to talk. I got something I need to talk to you about. Has the conviction ever fell on your heart? And you felt this overwhelming desire. I better go talk to Jesus. You see, Simon saw this woman's past, but Jesus saw this woman's future. And you see, there are only two kinds of sinners in this world. Did you know that? And everyone in this room and everyone online fits into one of the two categories. You're either a sinner who knows you're a sinner or you're a sinner who doesn't know you're a sinner. But you're one or the other. And what Jesus has to say gives us all some incredibly important principles that are just as meaningful today as the day Jesus spoke them. So let me share with you that just like the two men In the story that Jesus spoke of, everybody, everyone is spiritually in debt. Listen to what he said in verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? So Jesus told this earthly story with a heavenly meaning and he tells the story about two men who borrowed a whole bunch of money. One borrowed about two months' wages. The other one borrowed about two years' wages. But both were considered incredibly high debts, especially in that day. But the creditor in this incredible display of mercy and compassion, canceled the debts of both men. And Jesus said, Tell me, which one's going to love the creditor more? Certainly someone forgiven ten times as much would have greater affection for the creditor. And the greater the debt, the more forgiveness would cost the creditor. Likewise, friends, some people love much because they've been forgiven much. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. And the love that I have for Jesus comes from the fact that I know He has forgiven me much. 
But not only is everyone spiritually in debt, we also learn that we can never repay that debt. Did you notice it there in verse 42? And when they had nothing with which to repay. Both debtors had nothing with which to repay. Now the focus comes back on the woman. And Jesus says there in in verse 42, they don't have anything with which to repay. These creditors don't. The good news is, is that forgiveness is available. That's important. It's available to everyone. But listen, forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness always costs somebody something. Forgiveness costs this creditor 550 denarii. 550 days wages. And although there's a lot of difference in what each one of them owed, neither person, neither man could repay their debt. So it didn't matter what they owed. When God said, I will forgive you of all your sin, you need to remember, friend, that it cost the life of His only begotten Son on the cross at Calvary to forgive you of your sin. Your sin debt had to be paid. And Jesus is the one who paid your debt. And it doesn't matter, friend, whether you're a high-class sinner like Simon, or whether you're a low-class sinner like this woman, both of them couldn't repay their debt. She owed the greater debt, but both of them owed a debt they could not pay. The Bible says in verse 42, that Jesus said, tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose, the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. I think that Simon is beginning to get the picture that everybody is a sinner and no one can repay their own debt. But here's a third principle that is something we need to take home with us today. And that is this. We will never be turned away. As the focus comes back to this woman, Jesus says there in verse 44, He turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the head of her hair. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the first time I came in. You do not anoint my head with oil, but this woman anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Jesus tells Simon that what this woman has done for Jesus is what Simon should have done, but he refused to do. Simon had neglected the common courtesy of the day. However, Jesus overlooked it. He overlooked the insult because his purpose wasn't to judge manners. His purpose was to come and forgive sin. Besides, what this woman does far surpasses any kind of common courtesy. She came to Jesus in faith 
She came to Jesus turning away from her sin. She came to Jesus worshiping her Savior. She came to Jesus seeking His forgiveness. And guess what? She wasn't disappointed. She left forgiven. But as she wept, I wonder, could she sense the Lord's forgiveness? You know, we're never more happy than when we feel forgiven. We're never more happy than when our debt is paid. We're never more happy when we're free from guilt, when we're free from shame. And the promise of Jesus is this, is that while we can never repay the debt that every one of us owe, If we will just come to Jesus, we will never be turned away. And if you'll come to Jesus in repentance and faith, Jesus says, your sins will be forgiven. Verse 47, he spoke those words. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves Little. Now some people hear that and they think, oh, she earned her forgiveness by this act of love. But now we've already learned, you can't repay the sin debt. You can't earn God's forgiveness. You can't pay the debt of sin that we all owe. Love. Love is a natural response, not for forgiveness, but because we are forgiven. That's why we love Jesus. And then Jesus spoke the words that she'd been searching for all day. In verse 48, Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. And the truly exciting part is what was true then still true today. Jesus forgives all the sins of people who come to Him by faith. Come asking for forgiveness with a willingness to turn away from their sin and turn their hearts toward God. And then in verse 50, Jesus makes it crystal clear what has saved her from her sin. Can you read it there? In verse 50, Jesus says, Your faith has saved you. Now that's from the the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. So if you think there's anything else that saves you, why don't you listen to the words of Christ? Because he says, your faith has saved you. But what was it that she believed by faith? Well, she believed by faith that if she just come, If she just come to Jesus, if she would just come and admit her sin, if she would just come admit her sin, that Jesus would not turn her away. That he would forgive her sins and she'd be saved. Praise the Lord. Friend, that's what she believed. And listen, she was right. And that woman got saved. You know, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper really is a declaration of love. 
It's a statement of love. It's a statement of love for what Jesus did for us. But when we observe this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, it's also a demonstration, a a statement of our love for Him. We're remembering what Jesus did for us. But before we observe this, I want to encourage you to examine your answers to these questions today. Number one. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Number two. If you do love him, is your love for Jesus growing? See, that's what happens when you fall in love with somebody. Can I give you a a smooshy-gooshy statement? My love for Janet grows and grows and grows with each day that I love her. Our love for Jesus should grow likewise. Number three, are you adamant, insistent that other people know the love of Jesus? See, all three of those things come into one basket when you truly love the Lord. You see, Jesus loves people. Jesus loves all people. Are you hearing me, church? He loves all people. He loves them all so much that He was willing to give His life as a propitiation, as a ransom, as a payment, as a sacrifice for the sins of everybody. Sins of all people that he so, so loved. So today in Luke chapter 22, we read where this love is symbolized. Friend, there should be a a cup with a little wafer on the top there in front of you. If you don't have one, please raise your hand and let me know. Uh, There should be some. There you go. Sham around. I put them on, at least on the outsides. Everybody got one? All right, everybody in business? Why don't we just go ahead and take, take the bread out from the top, okay? Everybody good? Listen to this statement of love from the Bible. When the Lord's hour had come, Jesus sat down and his 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, it is with fervent desire that I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He was saying, listen, boys, I love you so much. I'm getting ready to suffer for you. He says in verse 16, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is going to be my last meal with you. And then I'm going to die for you. 
And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. He said, this is my last drink with you too. And then I'm going to die for you. And in verse 19, he took the bread. He took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the incredible declaration of love you gave to each and every person in this building and within earshot of my voice, that, Lord, you have given your life as a sacrifice for the sins of every man, woman, and child on this planet if we would just come and receive it. Father, we thank you today for the body of your son that you so unselfishly gave so that we might be forgiven of our sin. Lord, as we partake of this now, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus' body. In his name we pray and all God's people say, amen. Let's partake together. something very awesome, very amazing, and very lovely about being forgiven of our past sins. But the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, that's not the whole story. There's more. For not only did Jesus give his body for the sins we did yesterday, and last week, and last month, and years ago, he tells us that he shed his blood to cover our sins in the future as well. In verse 20, the Lord Jesus said, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. This is the new law that I'm giving you. In my blood, which is shed for you. We'll just peel that back and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that not only are my past sins forgiven by the broken body on the cross, Father, the promise of the new covenant is that your blood has covered my sins forever. Covered the sins of everyone Forever. So that our sins in their entirety could be forgiven. Thank you, Lord. We remember you today. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Let's pray together. You know, every time that I... Remember the sacrifice of the Lord. I'm reminded that He is worthy of my worship. You should be reminded that He is worthy of your worship. But I fear that the modern day church ain't really getting it. Are you hearing me? I fear that the modern day church is getting worship all wrong.
We think of worship as coming together. We think of worship as giving together. We think of worship as singing together. We think of worship as listening to God's word together. But then leaving unchanged. That's not worship. While all these things that we do together have huge value for our fellowship and our unity as the body of Christ, genuine worship requires individual faith. Genuine worship requires individual obedience, not just on Sunday morning, but come Monday. And the rest of the week. Individual, genuine worship requires individual sacrifice. Genuine worship requires an individual understanding of who God is, what God has said, and what God can do. That's genuine worship. And so often it happens even outside this building. Genuine worship occurs when the child of God, listening to the Word of God, motivated by the Spirit of God, obeys the will of God. That's one you can put in your pocket and take home with you, amen? Let us remember that. So the question remains, what about you? What about you today? Do you see this woman? She recognized that Jesus could and would forgive her sins. And in her faith, she worshiped the Lord without words. Do you see this woman? Will you receive what she received? Will you respond obediently like she did? Because in her obedience, she worshiped the Lord and didn't speak a word. Do you see this woman? She was utterly lost in her sin and she poured herself out as a sacrifice to Jesus. And friends, in her sacrifice, she worshiped the Lord and she didn't even speak a word. In Max Lucado's book entitled The Applause of Heaven, he writes this, By the book, I'm guilty. But by God's love, I'm given another chance. By God's law, I am indicted. But by God's mercy, I'm given a fresh start. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So what about you? you, Have you received the gift of God? Are your sins forgiven? Like this woman's sins were forgiven? Do you truly love the Lord Jesus? 
And if so, does your love reveal itself in faith, obedience, and sacrifice? Friend, is your life a living, breathing, walking, talking testimony of genuine worship? Can I tell you that that's the Lord's desire for your life? Friend, if you have never accepted God's pardon for your sin, He wants you to know that as we illustrated in this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and as we saw by the example of this woman in genuine worship, your sins can be forgiven today. And your home be eternal in heaven. You don't have to live another day on this planet not knowing that you've been forgiven and that your home is in heaven. Today can be your day. Let me pray for you.